Good morning. So if you're visiting us this morning, uh, we just want to take some time to, to acknowledge that you're here uh, and to say welcome. Uh, we know that there's lots of other things that you could be doing this morning, uh, lots of other places that you could be, uh, but I believe that, that God has you here with us for a reason. And so uh, one of the things that Jesus would constantly tell his followers is he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so if you're here this morning, then you might as well hear, Right? And so, man, let's trust God uh, that he's going to communicate uh, a word for us this morning. All right, let's come with expectation to hear uh, from, from the, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, this is a, a powerful book, uh, and it's full of truth. And if we let it, it'll transform our lives. And so we have to come. We have to be soft ground for this, for this word uh, just to, to take root. Uh, but before we dive in, uh, ACR is coming up, right? And so let's be praying even now for what God's going to do this week. Uh, we've got uh, people, we've got speakers coming in uh, from, from all over the place, from our little kids all the way to, to the big kids, right, to, to, to the grown adults. Uh, we want God to be communicating his word in a way uh, that, that encourages, that re-envisions not just the kids, but us, right? That this needs to be a time where we get away with the Lord and just meet with him in a way that's refreshing and re-envisioning. And so we've got family, again, that's coming in from all over the place, from all over different parts of the United States. And so if you don't know someone, man, this is a great opportunity to get to know other brothers and sisters uh, here in this body and in our fellowship at large, right? And so let's be strategic. Let's be intentional. Let's use this time to get to know our family and to love on each other. And lastly, one thing that's worth mentioning. So my name's Miles, and I'm not Pastor Sam Miles, right? So, so... Sam, he's our senior pastor here, and man, I've been uh, just blessed. You know, I've been a member of this church, and God has used the pastors here at MBT to completely transform my life. And so my, my wife, uh, Lisa, she's down with the kids right now, actually, uh, but me and her, we serve in the college young adult ministry under Pastor Brandon Briscoe. Uh, we serve in the missions uh, team under Pastor uh, Chris Best. Uh, and we're stepping into kind of a, a leadership role uh, in, in FOI. And so again, uh, Pastor Sam, he's our senior pastor here. And so if you are visiting, then I just want to be the first to invite you back in the coming weeks, right? You, you got to hear what, what, what we're in. Right now we're in the book of Genesis, and it will blow your mind, right? This is the most important book in the entire Bible, Right? This is the book of beginnings. Every major, every key doctrine in your Bible begins in the book of Genesis. And so you want to be with us as we study this book of beginnings uh, because it is awesome. It's so encouraging. And there's truth in here that you need, right? And so come back next week uh, and let's just be encouraged uh, as we dive back into the word. Uh, but this morning, uh, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And so feel free to start turning that way with me. And we're going to see what the Lord has for us this morning. So I've been in a, a season of transition, right? I'm stepping into a leadership position. And, you know, with that, I realize that I need direction. Uh, I realize that I'm facing responsibilities. I'm facing a situation uh, that's bigger than I am, Right? Uh, I need direction, I, I need wisdom, uh, I need strength that's beyond anything that, that I can produce. And, and times like this are really, really good for me. 
uh, because it helps me small myself, realize that, man, this is a bigger situation than, than I can deal with. It helps me acknowledge the fact that, that I am weak, and it leads me to a place of desperately abiding with the Lord, right? right? of seeking him through his word, of seeking him through prayer, uh, because he is wise and because he is strong. And so it's led me to, to this place of desperately spending time with the Lord, trusting him for direction, trusting him for vision, trusting him for strength, because I realize that I'm not able. And so, you know, I, I get into these, uh, you know, this time with the Lord. Uh, and every morning I spend time with the Lord and I seek his face through his word. And, you know, I've got kind of a little routine. I get my, my coffee ready. Some of you guys are familiar with this, right? You get your coffee ready and you're ready to sit down to study. And you're like, well, you know, before I study, I should probably check my messages. That way I'm not distracted with this time. Let's get it all out of the way. Then I can be really focused. So you start checking your messages and then WhatsApp's blowing up. You're like, oh man, what's going on over here? You're like, well, I've got my phone out. I might as well check the gram, right? And then start scrolling, scroll, scroll. Oh, that's kind of cool, like. Scroll, scroll, like. I'm a little bit more selective with my likes than, than some of y'all. <laughs> but, you know, so you, you do that, you get it out of the way, and then you realize, man, I should get a snack. You know, if I'm going to be here studying the Bible with, with the Lord, this is going to be quality time. I don't want to have to get up and go back and forth, so I should just I should get a snack and set up this whole situation that way. I mean, if I get hungry, I could just, and, and we're good, right? So you get up and get a snack. And then you get a blanket in case it gets a little drafty, you know, just setting up the atmosphere. It's really important to have a proper atmosphere. And then finally you sit down, you got your snack, you got your coffee, and you realize, man, I never even got water. You know, what happens, you know, coffee kind of makes my, my, me kind of parched, I should get water as well. And around this time, you're getting up to get water, and you realize that you're actually just avoiding spending time with the Lord. You've been there, right? You, you've been there. You're doing everything but the thing that you know that you need to be doing. And that's spending time with him. And you're letting all these things become distractions from the main thing. And then you sit down and you start to spend time with the Lord and you start to pray to him. And it feels like you're just stone words at a brick wall. And then you start reading this book and it feels like you're just staring at a brick wall, right? You're seeking the Lord and you come up dry. I've been there. I don't know about y'all. I've been there. You're seeking the presence of the Lord and you come up dry. And so today, uh, we're gonna be in 2 Samuel chapter six, and we're gonna see the testimony of David. Uh, David is known as a man after God's own heart. And, and we're gonna see in this passage, him seeking the presence of the Lord and coming up dry, right? And so I'm sure this already sounds depressing. And you're like, man, why did I come here this morning? <laughs> But my prayer is that this passage would become sweet to you, that it'd be an encouragement to you, and that it'd be a model to you of how to pursue the Lord, even when it's hard, even when things don't seem to make sense, even when you, you grow apathetic. Man, how ought we to, to, to seek the Lord? And so, 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where we're going to be hanging out. And, and, you know, as you guys are getting situated there, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background uh, to what's going on as we enter into this passage. And so, you know, this is all about David's life. And in 1 Samuel, uh, we see the wickedness of Israel uh, under Eli, the, the high priest. And we see the, the corruption that seeped into the priesthood, uh, particularly in his own sons. 
Uh, we see that the Ark of the Covenant, which is representative of, of the presence of God in Israel, uh, it's lost in battle, right? It was taken into, the, uh, into war without reverence, and it was lost in a battle to the Philistines. Uh, the, the, the first Samuel tells us that the word of the Lord was not present in the day, right? There, there's no new revelation. There's no open communication with Israel in those days. Uh, eventually, Israel, they, they completely kick against the plan of God, and they come before him and demand of him that they give him a king, right? That, hey, we, we see all the other nations, and they have a king. And so we want, to be a, we want a king so we can be like the other nations, right? They looked at all of the other nations and decided that they wanted a king. And so God, he, he's looking at this whole situation. He's looking about how wicked Israel is, and he's fed up. He's fed up with this nation, and finally, he just gives in to their own desires, and he gives them a king. And this is a warning to us. Man, if we seek our own, if we think that, man, we, we know best, if we seek, seek the things that we desire, that we want, we, we can do that in such a way that, that God finally says, fine, if that's what you want, that, that, that's what you get, right? And he'll give us over to our own desires, and we'll find out that that's not always the best thing for us. And so Israel, they got a king. They got Saul. He became their king, and he looked the part. The Bible tells us that he stood feet above everyone else, right? He was handsome. He was suave. He looked presidential. But he was an antichrist. He was full of self. He was more focused on public perception of him than on God's perception of him. He was insecure. He was so insecure that he waged war on David, on a little kid, a young man whose chief pursuit was for God to get glory out of his life. And by the end of 1 Samuel, we see the tables completely turn on Saul. Saul was the king and is relentlessly pursuing David's life. And by the end of the book, we see that Saul loses his own life. And in the process, David ascends to the throne. And so you can imagine this is a period of great chaos, of confusion in Israel. They're facing a civil war internally, right? And the threats of the surrounding nations are still looming around them. This is a great season of transition, a great season of uncertainty. And for David, man, this is not the ideal way to inherit the throne. So he's got a lot of challenges ahead of himself. He's got to establish himself as king in this nation, in this country, right? He's got to unite the nation. He's got to protect them from the, the, the surrounding nations and forces that are seeking uh, to oppose Israel. So in chapter 2, we see that David, he's anointed king. He's anointed king of Judah. And it would take seven years, seven years before the rest of Israel would come and, and submit to him and establish him king over all of Israel. We see that in chapter 5. And again, another just great leadership tip. It's not for us to lord over people. It's not for us to, to force people to follow us. David, he was a holy and a righteous man at this time, right? He, he was a godly man. And so he didn't have to call people to follow him. They established him as king of Judah. And it took seven years before the rest of the nation realized, hey, this is the man that God has over us. Let's follow him. And so we shouldn't force people to follow us, right? We've got to lead by example. We've got to be righteous. We've got to be holy people. And man, people are going to acknowledge that God is with you and they're going to follow you, right? A great leadership principle that we see here. And so we see that David's established his king over all of Israel. And so there's a lot going on in David's life. And so in this season of transition, in this season of just craziness, he does the, the, the right thing in chapter 6. He realizes that this task 
is bigger than he is. That this is something that, that he can't do on his own. And so he does the right thing and he seeks the presence of the Lord. He seeks the presence of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, it's representative of the presence of the Lord in Israel, right? It serves as this incredible Old Testament picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the Ark, it's made out of this, uh, out of shittim wood, and it's overlaid with gold. And that wood would represent Christ's humanity. And that gold would represent Christ's deity. And inside of the ark, we'd see the tablets of the commandments. And Jesus, he is the word made flesh. He is our rock, right? We would also find Aaron rods, Aaron's rod in there. And Jesus, he's the good shepherd. He, he is this great high priest, right? He is the, the man with authority. We'd find manna in there. And man, Jesus, he, he's the bread of life that comes down from heaven, isn't he? This ark, it resided in the holy of holies where God dwelt among his people. And Jesus, he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so this Ark of the Covenant, it was representative of God's presence in Israel. And this is the thing that David is seeking as he begins his reign as king. He's seeking to bring this Ark of the Covenant home. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Hello, somebody. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and timbrels and cornets and on cymbals. And so here we see a pretty elaborate and extravagant event going on, right? David, he's got all the chosen men of Israel coming out. And so, you know, this is, man, the who's who of Israel. They're, they're coming out to spectate, to see this event. David, he, he's sparing no cost, right? He hired a band, y'all. They're getting their jam on as they're moving the ark, right? All these skilled musicians are coming out to, to play as they're moving the ark. And David, he's setting the atmosphere. He's intentionally seeking the presence of the Lord. And this is the thing. This is the heart that sets him apart, that sets him on a completely different trajectory than Saul, the, the king that was ruling before him. You see, David, he was seeking the presence of the Lord, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, it tells us about Saul and his reign. It says that Saul never inquired of the Ark of the Covenant. He never inquired of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Saul's heart wasn't bent towards pursuing or obeying the Lord. And that's what led to his destruction. And so another leadership tip is that we have to spend time with the Lord. To, uh, with the Lord. Today we meet with him through, through, through the Bible, through the Word of God, and through prayer. And these times are what equip us to lead others. These are the times that, that gives us the direction. These are the times that, that judges us. These are the things that, that keep us holy so that we can lead others well, right? And so David brought an incredible crowd out. They had incredible music. They, they, they made this cart, right? So there's this new, they would have spared no cost. Expensive state-of-the-art equipment to move the ark. And just as they get rolling, boom, I got your attention, yeah? So just as they get rolling, they hit a roadblock, 
is more of a pothole, but, but they hit something, right? In verse 6 it says, And when they came to, to Nahum's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him, right? God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perizuzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his threshold. So here, in the midst of seeking the presence of the Lord, David encounters some problems. And these problems, they result in his frustration. He gets afraid. He's a little embarrassed. And so he gives up. Again, David, he's just been crowned king. And he's leading a nation through one of the most tumultuous time periods that they've ever faced. He's seeking the Lord. He's doing the right things. And he feels like God just won't meet him there. Instead of blessing his efforts, God smote Uzzah dead. He killed him. And so this can be a very confusing passage. And if you've ever been in a place where you've been seeking the Lord with the right intentions and you come out dry, you might be wondering, why would God do this? Why would God leave me here? And so let's look a little bit closer at the passage and see uh, what, what, what it says. In verse 3, we see that David employed a new method for transportation. It says that they used a new cart. And again, David, he's king. He's got the band, all these mighty men of Israel coming out. And so he would have spared no expense in constructing this cart. And it was genius. See, the, the cart would allow for the transportation of the ark to happen in a more expeditious manner. Right? It would be faster and it would be a lot less labor. But therein lie the problem. God had given specific instructions on how to carry the ark. In Exodus 25, verses 12 through 14, it says, And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings shall be on the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, and the ark may be born with them. And so here, whenever he's giving instructions on how to construct uh, this ark of the covenant, he makes it very, very clear. You're to make these poles, these staves, and you're going to carry them. You can bear this ark by these poles, right? And if that wasn't clear enough, God's like, hey, I get it. You guys, you need repetition. You're not the brightest, you know, brightest bunch. And so I'm going to make this clear. So we go over Numbers chapter 4, and we see some more insights about the transportation of the ark. In verse 15, it says, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of the covering of the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, all the camp is to be set forward. After that, the sons of Kohath, we see particular people, shall bear these things. But they shall not touch any holy thing. So he warns them, don't touch it, lest they die. He warns them up front. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. And so they would have a very clear warning not to touch this holy thing, right? In Numbers chapter 7, verse 9, it says, But 
Unto the sons of Kohath he gave none, because of the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them, was that they should bear upon their shoulders. And so again, we see another clear instruction on how they're to bear the ark. They're to bear it on these poles upon their shoulders. And so it's very, very clear from the construction and then God's instruction to the people on how they're to carry the ark of the covenant. They're to carry it on these poles upon their shoulders and not on a cart. The cart was actually a new method, right? We see the cart employed for the first time by the Philistines, by the enemies of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, we, we see again that the Philistines actually captured the, this ark, the ark of the covenant, in battle against Israel. And they took it into their land, and they thought that this would, would represent and show their power over the nation of Israel, and it was very, very exciting. And instead of it showing their power, they were the, the butt of, of a curse, right? The, the, the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it led to, to curses in their nation. And it was so bad, it was so horrific, that they didn't even want the Ark of the Covenant there anymore. And so it says in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, that they actually created an ark to put the Ark of the Covenant on and to send it back into Israel because they didn't want any part of it. Right? God was judging them. God was judging the, the, the nation of the Philistines. And so the first problem we see is that David tried to seek the Lord in a manner that lacked patience. Right? He wanted to do it in a faster way. He was seeking the Lord in a manner that lacked patience and that resisted work. It's hard work to, to carry it on your shoulders when you could just be pushing the cart, isn't it? So they lacked patience and they resisted work. Instead of approaching God the way that he had instructed, David looked to the enemies of God for a shortcut. Didn't work out well, did it? It didn't work out well. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it tells us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. It tells us that we're to be workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us to, to labor, therefore, to enter into the rest, Right? And if we're not willing to, to, to do the work in the Word, if we're not willing to spend the time necessary to meet with the Lord, then no wonder we're going to come up dry whenever we seek His presence. So there's this dude, his name's Eric Phillips, and he discipled me. And man, he's a, a sweet brother. And one of the things that he shared with me really early on in the discipleship process uh, that, that I'll never forget, he told me that the, the price for insight in the Bible is time. Hey, if you're going to get anything out of this book, if you're going to study to show yourself to prove, man, the, the price for insight in Bible study, it's time, right? Uh, the track coach, and he would give us a, a similar sentiment in the midst of training, in the midst of practice. He would say that it's not microwave. He would always tell us, that, hey, it's not microwave. What are you, what are you talking about? And, and what he meant by this is that, the, that things, uh, they, they take time and they require work. Right? The, the best things take time and require work. And so I wasn't going to become some incredible Olympic athlete overnight. Those people that, that are incredible athletes, they put in time and work, and it takes time for them to get to a place where they're, you know, running really fast, 100-meter dashes and things like that. And so, you know, would you rather microwave a brisket or would you rather cook it low and slow? Not microwave, right? Low and slow for the brisket, right? So, so often our intentions, our good intentions are met with laziness and a hurried schedule. You can relate to this, right? 
Our good intentions, sometimes they're met with laziness and a hurried schedule, and we wonder why our time with the Lord is off. And so our key question is, is your time with God rushed? Man, when you spend time with Him, when you sit to get in the very presence of the Lord, is it a rushed time? Are you, man, just looking in and out? Do you actually make and protect time to spend with Him? Are you willing to do the hard work of study to enter into His presence? right? Or are you looking for shortcuts to get what you think you need? It didn't work well for David. Whenever he took a shortcut, it ended with Uzzah dying, right? And so David's approach to the work, it was a little lazy. But as we consider God's clear commandments about the transportation of the ark in Numbers chapter 4, we find that David also lacked the reverence and consecration necessary for the work. In Numbers chapter 4, God gives clear instructions on how the ark was to be transported, they also gave clear instructions about who was to carry out this work. This work, it was reserved for the descendants of Kohath, right? For the descendants of Kohath. And these Levites, they were set apart and they were consecrated for this work of moving the ark. But clearly David never even considered including them in the transportation of the ark. He looked around, he found Abinadab's sons and said, hey, you're in a convenient place. Why don't you just take this and go on your way, right? He didn't even consider them. Instead of yielding this work to, to holy men, to the sons of Kohath, David has men like Uzzah and Ahio transporting the ark. And Uzzah's name in Hebrew, it literally means strength. That's what his name means in Hebrew. And so we have these defiled and unconsecrated hands trying to help God in the strength of their flesh and their own strength. And I wonder why that didn't go well, right? There's no wonder it didn't work out. Uzzah represents everyone that thinks God needs their help. Uzzah was not anointed, he was not appointed, he was not authorized to touch the ark, and it cost him his life. The ark of the covenant, it was the very expression of God dwelling with Israel. He's a holy God, and no flesh is to glory in his presence. And so we ought to be a holy people. For, for our Lord, our God, he's holy, right? And so as we seek the presence of the Lord, we have to deal with sin in our life. We have to relinquish any confidence that we have in our flesh. We have to relinquish any confidence that we have in our way. And, and so the next key question is, do you approach your time with God in reverence? Do you confess your sins and acknowledge the weakness of your flesh as you enter into his presence? We have to. Who are we before a holy and a righteous God? We ought to cleanse ourselves. We ought to confess our sins as we approach him. Lastly, David's response reveals a great deal about his heart in this moment. He gave up. In verse 8, it tells us that David was displeased. He was frustrated with the Lord and decided that there's no way to move the ark. He threw his hands up in the air and just decided to leave the ark where it was. The very presence of God, he just left it there with Obed-Edom. David walks away. And so, yes, David, he had a lazy approach by employing the, uh, the, this cart. He had an unconsecrated approach by employing Uzzah and Ahio. And ultimately, we learned that he was undetermined. He wasn't determined. David decided the moment of opposition that it wasn't worth it. The, the first moment of opposition, as he's trying to spend time seeking the presence of the Lord, he says, ah, it's not worth it, right? So we must bring an unwavering desire to be in the presence of the Lord. His presence is where we find blessing. His presence is where we find peace. It's where we find comfort. It's where we find life. 
It's interesting that this ark, it was left in, in Obed-Edom, which means one who serves the Edomites. That's what this man's name means. One who serves the Edomites. He was this Gittite. And, and the Edomites, they're descendants of Esau. And, and if we trace out their, their, their lineage, we'd see that historically, these Edomites, they'd be in opposition with Israel, right? They're constantly the enemies of Israel. And there's entire books in the Bible where God's condemning and casting judgment on Edom, right? And even old Obed, he's getting blessed, right? Wherever the presence of God is placed, blessing's inevitable. And so even this man, Obed-Edom, this man who serves the Edomites, he's getting blessed as this Ark of the Covenant's left there. And this ought to motivate us to, to relentlessly pursue uh, just seeking the Lord, seeking his face. And so the next key question is, do you approach your time with God in an unwavering pursuit to hear from him? Do you approach your time with God with, with an unwavering pursuit to, 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 to hear from him? Do, do you read this book until it starts reading you, right? Do you just read a chapter a day or do you start reading it until you see his face where, where this book starts to cut you and shows you areas of your life that you need to reproving, right? Man, we, we got to, to pursue him. Uh, with, with just, we have to decide up front uh, that this is worth it. We have to be like Jacob, willing to, to wrestle with God all night for this blessing. So maybe God wasn't being as ridiculous and as unreasonable as is assumed when we first saw this passage. But the question on the floor remains, if we find ourselves in this spot, if we find ourselves in a position where we're struggling with how to proceed, where we're, where we're seeking the, the face of the Lord and we're coming up dry, uh, when we're facing the, these distractions, right? When we're at a point where we're ready to give up, what's the proper response? You know, th this shows us failure. <laughs> this shows us someone seeking the presence of God and, and, and failing. What does it look like us for, for us to move forward when we're at this place and we're, we're reading this book and we're just going through the motions where we're not getting anything out of it, where we're, we're hitting a brick wall? What does it look like for us to move forward? Let's look back at the passage, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's get eyes on verses 12 through 17. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, 12 through 17, it says, And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Man, God is pouring out blessing on old Obed. And, and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with the linen uh, ephod. So David and all the house of Israel bought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. And so we see the testimony uh, gets back to David about the blessing being poured out on the house of Obed-Edom. And, and once David caught wind of the blessing, it restoked in him, it rekindled in him a, a desire, a determination to claim this blessing for himself. And so it led to David going forth, uh, seeking this ark of the covenant with gladness. And so our key point number one is that we must have a relentless pursuit of the Lord. We must have a relentless pursuit of the Lord. We must be willing to, uh, to, to keep after him, to keep pursuing, even after past failures. Uh, 
In Proverbs 24, it talks about this just man in verse 16 that falls seven times and rises up again. In Psalm 119, verse 1, this incredible psalm uh, just about the Word of God. We see in verse 1, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with their whole heart. Man, the, the, the whole of our heart sinking after him, after his presence. In verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. That this has to be our position where we have a relentless pursuit of the Lord and we have to be willing to pursue it even after past failures. The instruction is clear. We must continue to pursue after the Lord even after coming up dry. Uh, Pastor Sammy talks about these seasons in our life and how we have to, to prime the pump is what he'll say, right? We have to start reading this book until this book starts reading us. We can't settle for just watching others live in, in the blessings. We can't just settle by, by watching others live in the promises of God. We have to seek them with our whole heart, right? We have to claim these things for ourselves. Once David was determined to do so, he was able to do it with gladness. He was able to do it with gladness. And so where is the heart posture? Where is the posture of your heart? Is it bent towards pursuing him, right? Is anything going to get in your way, right? We have to decide now that it's worth it. Key point number two, we must approach the Lord in reverence and consecration, right? We have to come sanctified and sacrificed. You remember that David lacked the reverence and consecration that one might expect to complete this job. Instead of hiring the men that God set aside for this work, David allowed Uzzah to handle the ark. And Uzzah represents the flesh. And as his unconsecrated hands touched the ark, it resulted in his death. This time we see the priests and the Levites are called to bring forth the ark. Right? He's not messing around this time. Hey, let, let's get these people that are set aside for this work. So he brings over the priests and the Levites in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 14. It shows us that they sanctified themselves before approaching the ark. And further, after six paces, they made sacrifice to God. They made sacrifice to God. So clearly, David had done a 180 in his approach to moving the ark. This time, the approach was sanctified and it was sacrifice. And this brought incredible insight to us on how we should approach the word. We should come examining ourselves, whether there be any evil way in us, right? We should be coming ready to make sacrifice to the Lord. It's our reasonable service that we lay down our lives and surrender our desires and yield to his way, right? <clears throat> we ought to do the things that the Lord, that the word is calling us to do. Key point number three, time and work are required to enter into his rest. Remember, previously David was using a cart to transport the ark. And this was a faster, uh, this is a, a less labor-intensive process, but it wasn't how God commanded them to move the ark. This time the Levites and priests put the ark on poles as they were instructed to and moved it according to the instruction of the Lord. And after six paces, they sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And, and this is hard work. Right? I can't imagine how long this would take to just do this manually by hand and walking but what if we approach God's word this way? What if we actually took our time as we were reading it? Actually sitting with him, right? Just taking time, every six paces, every six verses, stopping and saying, Lord, where, where are you in this passage? How can I die in this passage? How can you get glory out of my life? 
You see, this time David, he wasn't in a hurry. It would take as long as necessary to move the ark. It would be as labor-intensive as necessary to move the ark. He was determined to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And what's so cool is that all this doesn't happen by, by our labor, by our might, you know. It's by His. The beautiful thing is, as they approached Him reverently, and again, it has nothing to do with their strength. It has everything to do with their heart posture. As they approached Him reverently and approached Him the way that He calls them to, in First Chronicles chapter 15, it's a parallel passage to this. First Chronicles 15, verse 26, it says, And it came to pass that when God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant, it wasn't on their strength. Man, if they're willing to do it God's way, he's willing to step in and to help in the process, right? We, we have to come to God the way that he calls us to. Sometimes it's going to take time, right? It's going to take us confessing our sins before a holy and a righteous God, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Our God, he is a good God, and he's made it so that we can approach him, so that we can be in his presence, and in seeking his presence, we can't settle for good intentions. It doesn't just matter that we seek God. It matters how we seek God. He has communicated clearly to us how we ought to seek him and enter into his presence. And yet so often people come just completely ignorant to these instructions. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh to the Father but by him. That's the way, right? In John 14, Jesus makes very clear that there's only one way to God, and that's by him. Right? Aside from that, he claims to be the truth and the life. And so if you're seeking God any other way outside of Christ, then you might have good intentions, but, but according to this word, it's wrong. It's wrong. The Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the sins in our life have earned us death. But Jesus, he's not willing that any would die. He's not willing that any would perish. He loves us so much that he was willing to give his life in our place. And if we'd simply acknowledge that, if we'd simply accept that free gift of life, right? Man, just blessing, blessing, right? This is the way to the Father. This is how we get to continue to, 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 to seek his presence it is by seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to do that is through his word. And so the next time that you sit down to read your Bible and hit a brick wall, uh, when your time in the Word is dry, man, I just pray that we would think of the example of David, right? Don't give up. Keep at it. Uh, approach the time with reverence. Come sanctified. Come ready to, to make sacrifice, right? And know up front that it's going to retire, require work. It's going to require time. But ultimately, we see that it's worth it. For David, God established his throne, he didn't just establish it for a couple of years. It says that he established his throne forever. Forever. Hello, somebody. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 says, And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. This is directly after he moves the Ark of the Covenant, right? Thy throne shall be established forever. Forever. And so as I close, I'm just going to have the, the worship team come up. <clears throat> Uh, but I'd love to, to pray for you. So some of you may be saying, I have no idea what it looks like to seek the Lord. You know, maybe you see the blessing, the joy, the peace that comes with pursuing a relationship with Christ through this word, but don't know what it looks like to start. And, and others of you, you're, you're wrestling whether Jesus is someone worth pursuing a relationship with at all. 
And if that's you, then I can tell you without a doubt that the answer is yes, right? The answer is yes. And if you're struggling with that, man, I'd love to meet with you. Uh, we're going to have leaders up front, and they'd love to meet with you and to counsel with you. Uh, but he's absolutely someone worth pursuing. And for others, this hits home. Maybe you're in a season where sitting at Christ's feet is a really difficult thing for you to do right now, right? Where you approach it, you're pursuing the Lord, and it feels like he's just not meeting you there, right? It feels like a dry season where you're approaching this book, and maybe you're going through the motion, and you're not getting anything out of it. Well, I would challenge you, man, consider these things. Uh, but, but let's pray together. Let's consider the word of God. Let's get accountable, man, that, that, that we might see the, the blessing uh, of seeking the presence of the Lord. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it tells us that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that word diligent, it's a big word, right? So uh, if anything, uh, any of this rings home to you, uh, if anything uh, here kind of uh, hits your, your, your heart, Man, I pray that you would just grab one of the counselors up front as we close. Uh, but I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer. Lord, we, we do thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you for how it counsels us. Uh, we thank you for how it speaks to, to all things pertaining to life and godliness, Lord, and, and how you desire to dwell with us and how you made a way for us uh, to, to, to enter into your presence. And so, Lord, if anyone's here today, and sees the, the, the blessing of spending time with you and has no idea where to start. Uh, if they realize that, man, they've been living their own way and that they need to be in your presence, Lord, I pray uh, that, that you would move. Lord, I pray that they would acknowledge that you desire to spend time with us, but that you've made a very, very clear path and a very clear way on how to do that. And so, Lord, uh, just draw us into your presence uh, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.